0: Lots and lots of spoilers.
1: Hey all you f***ers, welcome to Max Mike in Movies. This is another in our f***ing series in ancient f***ing times, the 90s. We've got one f*** of a movie for, for you today, and that's no s***. Yeah, this one is Quentin F***ing Tarantino's f*** of a breakout hit, 1994's Pulp fiction. So sit back and listen, or I will execute every last one of you motherfuckers! I'm sorry. 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 I got... I kind of got stuck in Tarantino mode there.
0: Um, before I get medieval on your buttocks, could you please stop <laughs> yes. that?
1: So, yeah, I will. I, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what happens. Those Tarantino movies just do that to me.
0: Do you have any idea how much work you just caused me?
1: I know, I know, you got a whole lot of, a lot of bleeping to do.
0: Oh, you and have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hang on, hang
1: on, let me finish. Yep. Uh, this is Tarantino's second movie as a director, so he only slightly indulges his foot fetish, and uh-huh. the one that really brought him into the awareness of mainstream moviegoers. So, let's get going. I am your ultra-violent host, Max, Mr. Chartreuse Levine, and over there is our own stuntman, Mike. Mike Loose. Let's get pulpy and fiction-y together.
0: Stuntman Mike? Yeah, it's a character from
1: another Tarantino movie called Death Proof. It played by, oh lord. Wait,
0: was it the Grindhouse uh, one?
1: Yes, it was one oh. of the two Grindhouse ones along with uh, Planet Yuckiness or whatever it was called. Uh, yeah. Oh god, it was played by, and I'm blanking on the actor's name, uh, uh, the computer wore tennis shoes, Kurt strongest teeth. That's it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's what you remember him for. That is what oh, I remember. Right. You not, go right snake, to Disney. Uh, okay.
1: not Snake Plissken. I uh, I was thinking of that, or the the junk, the kid on Gilligan's Island. Yo, girl, boy, boy, boy.
0: <laughs> How about Guardians of the Galaxy? It's oh, right. Recent. He was in that, wasn't he? Well, the yes. second one. Yeah. He
1: he plays a character in the in Death Proof called Stuntman Mike. Okay. And he sort of reprises that role a little bit. In uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he plays a stuntman, and I think his name is Mike in that too.
0: Well, I mean, it's a good choice for names if you're going to have one. Um, Real quick. um, Yeah. So you said this is his second directorable. The second film he directed. Yes. Uh, Was Reservoir Dogs the first one?
1: It was that was his first movie. Yuck. Now he wrote other movies and TV episodes and all sorts of stuff. But as far as director, this was this was his number two.
0: I assume he only Le- wrote TV stuff for like HBO because otherwise, like they couldn't film it, right?
1: No, no, they, he did an episode of CSI.
0: R- really? Yeah. I mean, he did the di-
1: dialogue too, and the dialogue. I assume <laughs> they had to edit him harshly. <laughs> okay. That's apparently why everyone keeps saying "friggin" in uh, the in the show.
0: How about but, uh, Fark or Felger Carb? <laughs> well,
1: yep, and apparently he had had it up to here with these Monday through Friday snakes on this Monday through Friday plane.
0: Monday through Friday.
1: That was one of the that was one of the ways they um, altered the dial Samuel Jackson's dialogue on Stakes in a Plane
0: <laughs> Monday yep. through Friday
1: Monday through Friday Yep
0: <laughs> Well I guess it would probably match the lip movement so whatever Yeah I
1: think that's the idea That's the only That's the criterion is it sort of matches the mouth movement
0: Well that's according to necklace here It's true This man has no neck. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you Lord. can't say dick on yep. TV yep. when you're talking about... Um, uh, you're yeah. Johnson, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pants, I think. Anyway, uh, I'm uh, yes, But also there is some business,
1: too. I, I'm betting there is. Yes, there is. Uh, However you came across this podcast, you can find this and many others either in your favorite podcast app, provided it's the Google or iTunes podcast app. You can find us on our webpage, MaxMikeMovies.com, which has a complete archive of all our old shows, plus nothing, nothing more. <laughs> you can find us on, of course, We Are Socially Mediocre, out there on the Twitters and the Facebooks under Max Mike Movies, and you can find us on Spotify.
0: Hey, and while you're over at Spotify, why not look for another wonderful podcast that's brought to you by a group called Q Footsteps. And no, I'm not putting in a shameless plug for a podcast that I also happen to be doing.
1: Oh, you whore. (laughs) And by the way, that's Q-C-U-E, as in like. Cue the footsteps. Yes,
0: it's an old-time radio show thing, and uh, it's done by my sister. I mean by a very talented, uh, uh, totally unrelated person <laughs> named Valerie Kuhn. See, we don't even uh, have the same last name. so
1: Nepotism. My God, you're worse than Coppola.
0: Well, I was available, so. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Which Coppola? Because there's so many. They keep popping yeah, up. Well. There's a new one every week. Yeah, well. It's like, name Smith. you spell that Coppola? I think you do. <laughs> but even more than business, I'm betting betting my bottom dollar there's trivia.
1: There is so much trivia.
0: The show. So, like
1: I said, this movie—the budget for this movie was eight million dollars. Most, really? a lot of which, by the way, went to went to uh, Bruce Willis. Really. Yeah, he wasn't supposed to be in it. The uh, the character of Butch the boxer was written for Michael Madsen, another one of Quentin Tarantino's favorites, and Madsen wasn't available, and they brought in, they sent the script to uh, Bruce Willis and he was like yeah, yeah okay
0: for for a large part of the budget yeah, yeah all right
1: <laughs> yeah budget was 8 million dollars the worldwide take 222 million yeah. so this was kind of a big friggin success it also in 1990 the 1995 oscars movie was 1994 it won the oscar for best screenplay and was nominated for six others including picture director editing also, Best Actor for Travolta, Best Supporting Actor for Samuel Jackson, which caused some controversy. Oh,
0: I did not know and, that, and I can see and, why.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Best Actress for Uma Thurman. Really? Yeah, be, yeah, and I'll, yeah, we'll talk about uh, the... Hey, I thought she did a great job. Yeah,
0: all five minutes She's.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I think she only qualifies as Best Actress because her, hers is the only female character who's on screen for more than a minute or two.
0: Well, also, doesn't it have something to do with number of lines?
1: Yeah, that's the thing, and she talks a lot.
0: It's easy to qualify for a best whatever in a Tarantino film, because if you have one line, you have 50.
1: There's a lot of talking in Tarantino. We'll get to that. Oh, yes. We'll get to that. (laughs) Um, Apparently, Uma Thurman turned down the role of Mia Mia Wallace initially, and Tarantino was so desperate to have her that he actually called her up and read her the script, the entire script, over the phone. And I guess just to get him to hang up, she agreed.
0: <laughs> and yeah. I have I to wonder, is it like her or is it her feet? <laughs> he does
1: yeah. he does like her feet, as we, we get a lot more of that in the Kill Bill movies.
0: Yeah. Anyway, go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the car that we see... Vincent Vega, and uh, for a while, Jules driving around in, is a 1964 Chevelle Malibu, a Chevelle. (laughs) And that was actually owned by Quentin Tarantino. And during the film production, it got stolen. Good. In 2013, you dig, almost 20 years later, a cop saw two kids stripping an old car. He arrested them Looked up the owner of the vehicle, he found that the VIN, the vehicle number, had been altered. And it turned out it was Tarantino's stolen car. The owner had just b- bought it recently and didn't know it was
0: stolen. Right. Yeah. Yay. I mean, it's it's not the same as that Oldsmobile that Sam Raimi has, but... Uh, no, no. <laughs> and uh, one day, the Chin will find that car and he will destroy it. He has vowed it, to do so.
1: <laughs> do, not, do not challenge the Chin of Bruce Campbell. No. No. <laughs> It is a force to be reckoned with. Uh, speaking of Michael Madsen, he in Reservoir Dogs, he plays Mr. Blonde. His real—do you remember what his real name is? No. Or his character's name? No. Vic Vega, oh. who is apparently he is supposed to be the brother of the character Vince Vega. Ah. And he Tarantino was even working on a spin off film called Double V Vega, which was a prequel to both movies. Ah. And the film was scrapped because um. Both of the actors had gotten too old to play younger versions of themselves.
0: I'd say that at this point, Travolta's is already too old to play. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, The F-word, or F-bomb, is used 265 times in this movie. 295 times if you count the opening of this show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Yes. In the diner, now this is there's a reference in the diner sequence, or I, I wouldn't really call it a diner. In the ref in the restaurant, Jack Rabbit Slim's, where uh, oh. Vincent and Mia go for dinner, there's a reference. I bet a lot of younger uh, audience members did not get, and really don't get now. Yeah. The waiter, who is played by Steve Buscemi, by the way, in case Very you didn't well spot hidden.
0: him. I, I was like, after really, a while, I was like, wait, that voice. And he's like, yeah. he never looks up into the camera. It's like, I got to look this up. Oh, it is him. Okay. Yep, that
1: <laughs> yeah, was him. He, you know, he's another beloved actor by of uh, Tarantino's. He was
0: Mr. Pink, wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was. Okay. What are you complaining? You got a cool name, Mr. Blonde. Who well, <laughs> wants to be Mr. Pink? <laughs> and he asks, when uh, Mia orders her $5 milkshake, he asks if he wanted Martin and Lewis or Amos and Andy.
0: Did you get that reference? I didn't, you know, I didn't even hear him say it until you just said that, and I suddenly now understand what it means. It means vanilla or yeah. chocolate.
1: Right, because Martin and Lewis, that's Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, both white, and Amos and Andy was a famous uh, radio play, radio show, later a TV show, starring two black men. So yes, it's vanilla or chocolate. Uh, the, the, they're in the, oh boy, the kid who plays young Butch in the Captain Coons speech. Yeah. That is a young man named Chandler Lindauer, who went on to be a young man named Chandler Lindauer. And uh, he, the kid was about six or seven. He had to sit there. He had absolutely no idea what Walken was saying, including the swears. That's why when you cut to him, he looks so puzzled. He has no idea what's happening.
0: He does that very uh, well. Uh, I want to yeah. back up just for a sec, because there was something that I was kind of... I was kind of sure about it, and I wanted to double-check. Yeah, Amos and Andy weren't played by black people.
1: Oh, that's right. The characters were supposed to be black, but they were played by white guys. Eat first on the radio, just doing black voices, and then an actual blackface.
0: Yeah, so there's that. Thank you, Tarantino, for reminding people that that existed. But please, I'm sorry, go on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vince Vega by the way, Travolta's character, is the only character who's present in every segment of the film. Each segment of the film has a title. You know, Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife, the Gold Watch, the Bonnie situation, and the diner.
0: Okay.
1: He's the only one who's in all of them. Mm. One of the most famous, I don't know if it's lines or quotes from this movie, is, of course, Jules, Samuel Jackson, quoting Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen. Yeah, from the Old Testament. Right. By the way, you know he, this is Samuel Jackson in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, when Nick Fury is standing by the headstone of what is supposed to be his grave, the marker says, "The path of the righteous man," Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen. <laughs> yeah, now, the actual Ezek- quote from Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen is, "And I will execute great vengeance upon them with furious rebukes." and they shall know that i am the lord when i lay, shall lay my vengeance upon them that's it that's the whole that's all of ezekiel 25:17 all that other stuff where he's talking about uh, and the 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 righteous the righteous man and this and that that's just he made that's tarantino made that up he just stitched together some other biblical phrases
0: so you're what you're saying is that tarantino has improved the bible
1: he, Yep, additional dialogue by him.
0: yeah. Sam he rewrote, Krubish,
1: he, re- he rewrote the Bible. Who's Sam uh, Krubish?
0: Uh, <laughs> that's a really deep one, folks. Though. Yeah,
1: yeah, robot monster, ladies and gentlemen.
0: No, What's it, robot that's, monster? Uh, Sam Krubish is actually from a Warner Brothers cartoon. Oh, because you're that? William Shakespeare. Oh, that's right. No, I'm not. I'm Sam Krubish. Understand?
1: Sorry. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, Tarantino wrote the part, the character of Winston the Wolf, Wolf specifically for Harvey Keitel, and I don't know who else could have done that. That part, he just knocks it out of the park.
0: Wasn't Winston Wolf the villain for Slappy Squirrel?
1: <laughs> I thought it, I didn't think the first name was that uh, dignified. Maybe it was Winston. You go ahead, oh, I'll, I'll, in, I'll look check. it up. <laughs> you look it up. The part also the parts of Honey Bunny and Pumpkin, the somewhat inept diner robbers were written specifically for Amanda Plummer and Tim Roth. Uh, Jules, Sam Jackson's character, was originally supposed to have a gigantic afro, but a crew member brought in a bunch of different wigs, a whole bunch of afro wigs and one jerry curl wig. (laughs) And Tarantino had never even thought about using a jerry curl wig, but Sam Jackson tried it on and Tarantino liked it and it was kept. Huh. Yeah. The dance that Vince and Mia Perform a Jack Rabbit Slim for the twist contest. It was copied, movement for movement, from the dance performed in a F- Fellini movie, Eight and a Half, huh. by gl- the characters Gloria Moon and Mario Mazzabotta. Uh, when Jules and Jules and Vince are confronting the three guys who stole Marcellus Washington's uh, Wallace's b- uh, briefcase, when he when Jules flips the table over at the beginning, that was improvised. That was not in the script, and Frank Whaley's reaction is genuine. He's actually freaked out, but it was done so well they
0: continued with the
1: scene. It was done in one take.
0: Uh, just jutting in real quick, it is in fact Walter Wolf. So I was close.
1: Walter to. Wolf. All right. <laughs> uh, but Quentin Tarantino, by the way, is an avid collector of vintage show, bo- vintage TV show board games. Uh, this is well-known, and during the filming of this movie, he and Travolta supposedly sat on the floor a whole bunch of times and played Welcome Back, Cotter, the board game. Yes. I'm sure they did. Uh, this is genuinely generally regarded as Travolta's second big comeback film. His first was Look Who's Talking in 1989. <sighs> really? Hey, that was a very popular movie.
0: I know, but it's it, not the same kind of role that you associate with him in general.
1: No. And uh, it also did the same thing for Bruce Willis, who outside of the Die Hard fa- uh, franchise, his movies were pretty much pretty much tanked, except for Look Who's Talking, which he is also in as a voice.
0: He's a baby, isn't he? Yes, he is. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, he uh, basically this is this kept him as an A-lister, and it really catapulted Travolta to that level. I would say it did a similar thing for Sam Jackson. Samuel Jackson has been in tons of movies. He'd been in movies for 20 years before this, but he was never a major character. He was usually a bit player or had a small part. This really made him... This, this I think, pushed him up.
0: You know, I'm just thinking, because you mentioned Look Who's Talking, because I know there was a sequel called Look Who's Talking 2, and I think it had Roseanne in it. Yes, um, it did. We could do a whole series on talking baby movies.
1: But <laughs> why, why, why do you hate Joy? Why? 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 Why do you want to take all the joy and life out of the world and and grind it in, into a fine paste and then rub it in my open wounds? You think I don't remember baby geniuses too? You, <laughs> you know, we unfeeling monster.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Ugh. folks, if you have a better idea for a season, Ugh. you can write us at us at maxmikemovies dot
1: no talking baby movies in the name of any god you choose. Please. Uh, no
0: doing talking. Can we do those? Uh, <laughs> oh. Hey, remember oh. who won that series? It was you. Oh, God. Yeah, well. Showgirls. <laughs> all right,
1: that wound is still oozing. Thank you very much. It will not close. <laughs> uh, so, the plot. Right. <laughs> uh, this was a bit of a challenge. Really? Do it in chronological order, I dare you. No. This movie follows a day, maybe two days, it's hard to tell, mm-hmm. in the life of a number of characters in a series of interconnected stories in Los Angeles. We've got Vincent and Jules, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, two very cool hitmen who work for a terrifying gangster, Marcellus Washington. Sorry, Wallace, I keep having oh, that's why I mispronounced it. I wrote it wrong. Uh-huh. Played by Ving Rames, who is married to Uma Tamiya, Th- Uma Thurman, who spends a memorable evening with Vincent. <clears throat> memorable. Yeah. Uh there is an over-the-hill boxer named Butch, Bruce Willis, who ends up in Marcellus Washburn's very bad graces. While Butch plans to escape with his lover Fabian, after failing to throw a fight, he was ordered to throw <gasps> Wallace. Wallace. What did I say? <laughs> Washburn. I don't know. <laughs> It's just Marcellus, for God's sake. There you go. Uh, There are a couple of not terribly competent robbers named Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, we never find out Pumpkin's first name. Honey Bunny's name is Yolanda.
0: I think it's Mystic.
1: Yeah. Or, I mean, for some reason, uh, Jules calls him Ringo. Yeah. Uh, And a mysterious briefcase belonging to Marcellus that moves throughout the movie. We'll talk about the briefcase. Mm. Uh, There's my a favorite problem
0: character.
1: <laughs> there's a problem solver named mr. Wolf who comes to Vincent and Jules aid in a time of great need there's an annoying suburbanite named Jimmy butch and Marcellus end up in the worst pawn shop in Los Angeles and comedian Kathy Griffin shows up for a moment all the stories intersect and twine around each other in a strange nonlinear somewhat surreal narrative that somehow manages to hang together I guess <laughs> So that's, that's as close as I can get to the plot.
0: The Lowdown. Pulp Fiction. Get it. This week <laughs> on TBS. Yep. Yep. So. So. You finally did it.
1: I did. I finally made you see this movie, which I know, despite the fact you've seen a bunch of Tarantino movies. Not on At purpose. least half. <laughs> you, you always skip this one. Why did you always avoid this one?
0: So I saw Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown first, and I, not Pulp Fiction, I'm sorry, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And it was by mistake. Some friends (laughs) said, hey, this is a cool movie. It's like, okay, sure. I knew nothing about Tarantino. Um, I believe it was after, in fact, I know it was after Pulp Fiction had come out. And I just hadn't, nothing about the the previews or whatever interested me about Pulp Fiction. But they... They tricked me into watching Reservoir Dogs, which I really did not like. Um, the violence is just... It's in your face. It is oh, yeah. just brutal and nasty. It's a sadistic film. Um, I literally remember nothing about the movie except the scene with the cop in the warehouse. That's it. I know not, huh. I know they're all different colors. But because that scene was so nasty, I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but I want nothing to do with him. Next time I was visiting these same friends, they were like, hey, you want know, to watch this movie called Jackie Brown? It's a woman's name. I didn't think twice about it. And sure enough, it's that guy again. So I was like, ah, uh, no, no. So I was like, and then, you know, Pulp Fiction made a big stink and it was a huge thing. And I was like, no, I am not watching this film. I, I know it came out years ago. I, I know it's that guy. And I'm tired of seeing references to that film. I'm not watching it. I'm not watching it. Kill Bill comes out and I got talked into going to see that. And to be fair, there are scenes in that film I cannot stand for the same reasons. But in general, I don't mind... Kill Bill 1. I think Kill Bill 2 is actually kind of slow. Mm. Um, I will say that it's probably David Carradine's best part ever, which Well, serious, how much that is much. that
1: saying? Come on! <laughs>
0: um, I mean, it actually makes you feel like he can act, which none of his previous parts <laughs> gave me that <laughs> impression. Oh, uh, uh, You
1: didn't, don't remember him as Modulok the Vampire?
0: Modulok?
1: Yeah, I can't remember the name of the movie. He was in a vampire movie, and he played one called Modulok.
0: No. Yeah. But basically, this film also was one of those films that everybody seemed to love. There were instantly parodies or pastiches or references to it. Like the scene in the car with the hamburger thing, mm. that's been done everywhere. I mean, I think they even that year they were doing... Like, I think Travolta oh. was on SNL and they did a bit with it. Um, but I was just like, no, I'm not watching this. I don't like Tarantino as a director in general. Uh, I, do- I dislike his... The way he depicts violence, like, you're going to watch this. It's right here, centimeters from your face, and her face blows up. It's great. Uh, that's, that's, my, that's my Tarantino. <laughs> okay. Sorry, not a so Tarantino no. fan. No. So yeah, I wasn't going to watch this ever, but thanks to Max,
1: <laughs> I had to. See, I like Tarantino. I, there are things about him that are problematic. He is way too in, in love with violence, although I Feet. do say, the one thing I will say about his violence is it does not look like fun. It never looks, it's never clean, it's never sanitized. It looks like what it is. Awful, bloody, and horrible. And I kind of admire that. I don't like direct, I don't like movies that uh, make violence or, or death look easy and neat.
0: Well, except for the part in the car. Because that was just like an accident. Now, to be fair, I fully expected us to see that uh-huh. with Tarantino, oh, and I,
1: we don't. No, no. But we certainly see the aftermath, and that was the other thing I like. It's like, all right, po- a whole chunk of the movie plot is Vincent and uh, uh, Jules are taking this guy off, probably to kill him somewhere else, and they ac- and Vince accidentally shoots him in the head in the back of the car, and the car is full of blown-up head, right. and they have to clean it, and they show you, they give you an idea, that is not an easy thing to do.
0: Yeah, they also only give them 40 minutes, I'm like... Uh- you yeah, spent I, that, ten minutes of that talking. So yeah, um,
1: I, I have to say uh, that was, that part was one of the least believable sequences. Like, wow, you did all of that in forty minutes. I no, no, you didn't.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am not. I so that's my my little disclaimer. I am not a fan of Tarantino at all. Um, will this have um, prejudiced me? I tried really hard because mm-hmm. it's like I want to be as objective as I can. Let's just try and watch this movie. For just its sake, not. I'll, I'll forget about Reservoir Dogs, I'll forget about Jackie Brown, I'll forget about Kill Bill. Even the parts that I enjoyed. Like the Crazy 88, I, I don't know, I enjoyed that scene because it was cartoony. Um, whatever. And I did try. Um, and we'll get to that at the end, because you're probably all guessing right now that I hated this film. But you might be wrong. Uh, I mean so, that whole that whole sequence
1: there's a reason it's so iconic when they're in the car talking and that that famous you know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese in Europe?
0: Yes, I do. Yeah, scene's yeah, yeah. over.
1: The <laughs> <laughs> uh, Big Mac. It's I remember that's that whole sequence really drew me in. And the opening of the movie drew me in just where you have Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer, you know, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny who are sitting in a diner just talking about the idea of where you want to rob, and it's like, oh, this is interesting. They're talking about it. Then suddenly they both pull out handguns and proceed to rob the place. Right. And that's the opening. It's like, okay, and this is so, this is vintage Tarantino. This is so emblematic. Long sequences of people talking, usually just two, but sometimes three, talking suddenly followed by by very fast, very violent action sequences. And this yeah. is all over this movie
0: Oh boy is it My first note is Opening scene in Diner Talky I can feel the script
1: The thing and with me I, This is the thing A uh, difference between us I guess with Tarantino I like his dialogue I, in, Whenever his characters are sitting there talking It's like a uh, more believable version Of My Dinner with Andre It's enough that they're talking And there are a lot of his movies Where there are long stretches Of people just talking
0: isn't that all that happens in my dinner? That with is, Andre? that is it.
1: Yeah, it's a guy seven it's Wallace Shawn having dinner with Andre. Yeah, just sitting there and talking. My dinner with Quentin.
0: I just yeah. sat there. He just kept talking. I just didn't say anything. Um, was yeah, this the first Tarantino film you'd seen?
1: I think it was. I had seen, I had not seen Reservoir Dogs, okay. but I saw this in the theater when it came out in '94. And I will, I will. we'll get to this at the end. How, you know, this was nominated for an Oscar, and it lost out to Forrest Gump. And <laughs> we'll talk about that later.
0: Why? Why later? Let's talk about okay. that right now. I so-
1: thought that was a huge friggin' ripoff. <laughs> I was. I was so annoyed at the Academy that year. It's like, wow, you bunch of friggin' cowards.
0: And You to be had fair, to take.
1: You took the feel good movie. You took the holy fool movie, and you you gave that the Oscar. And you, the one really innovative, original. Pushing the boundaries movie, you just got scared and you just said, okay, you can have you can have screenplay.
0: That that year, just to be fair, these are the films that were up for Best Picture: Forrest Gump, which won. Four Weddings and a Funeral, which I haven't seen, but I know is fairly well regarded.
1: It is. It's a good, it's a oh, romantic no, comedy. It's. I did hmm?
0: see it. It was It was fun. I liked it. I was surprised. I think that yep. was the first, you know, quote unquote, rom-com or whatever that I saw. And I was like, oh, this is actually pretty nice. That doesn't necessarily, isn't that uh, Hugh Grant? I think it is.
1: Yes, it is. Hugh Grant and Andy McDowell.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, <laughs> wow. So you just say Hugh Grant and suddenly you want to apologize for something. It's <laughs> weird. Uh, yeah, four, yeah. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show. Mm-hmm. And Shank Redemption. Redemption. Now, Forrest Gump. Mm. I enjoyed Forrest Gump. Do I think it was best picture? Probably not. At the time, I enjoyed it. Later on, there there came out to be some problems with it. Like, hey, look how you can rewrite history and people believe it. Uh oh. <laughs> um, it was it was Tom Hanks. People like Tom Hanks. It's fine. I think it's Tom
1: be- Hanks did a great job. I think his performance was good. I would not, I did not have a problem with his winning Best Actor.
0: Uh, even uh, I, Sally Field did fine. She she didn't do her... That wasn't her year of, uh, you like me, you really, really like me.
1: No, no, she, she did a nice job as Mrs. Gump.
0: But uh, I can understand why you would be upset. Quid Show, I remember re- liking the movie. It is not Best Picture. no. But- was it worth being nominated? Probably. It's fine. It's all right. I don't remember what it is, but Shawshank.
1: Shawshank is a terrific movie. I would not have I would not have objected as much if Shawshank had beaten Pulp Fiction. Although I think Pulp Fiction's a better movie.
0: So Forrest Gump is sort of the Tarzan of the music category from a few years <laughs> later uh, uh, when Tarzan won against yeah. uh, Blame Canada and, and um, Amy Mann. Yeah, and Amy Mann. So I. Mm, I would have Of those five films, I would have chosen Shawshank. Yeah. Not least of which because it's one of the few adaptations of a Stephen King novel that's actually really, really good.
1: <laughs> it's a terrific movie. I think pulp, I would have chosen Pulp Fiction, and it just really annoyed me about Forrest Gump. Because, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole other show.
0: There. Now we get we, it yeah. out of the way.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. Now, the, the sequences, the intro sequences with uh, Jules and Vince, I really like. I love the chemistry. I love the way they talk. Uh And I also just love how menacing Sam Jackson is as Jules, even when he's being really friendly. And you know, can I? Do you mind if I, you know, sample your tasty beverage? (laughs) Right up until he asks somebody a question, and one of the uh, Phil Lamar's character—I don't remember his name starts to answer, and he just turns around and roars, I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. <laughs> and it's like, wow, I would have pooped my pants. Yes, even the actor, as if I was on set, I would have pooped my pants at that point.
0: <laughs> Phil, wow. That was Phil Lamar? Yeah. So Phil Lamar is a very... Underheralded actor, he mm-hmm. didn't do a he lot is. in front of the camera, but he does amazing voice work. You may oh, know God, him yeah. better as Samurai Jack, for yeah. among other characters. You, you, may,
1: you will have heard him in some cartoon. My main yeah. thing I remember him for was he was on Mad TV.
0: Yeah, that- Philomar is great. I really mm-hmm. like him, especially as a voice actor. But Phil, he's he's underheralded. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I agree with you on Samuel Jackson. I I don't want to meet him. No. He's probably a very nice man. I'm sure
1: he is, but he also is. I bet he can be really terrifying when he wants to be.
0: Yeah, like I met uh, Tommy Lee Jones once. You um. can't believe it or not, Tommy Lee Jones came into the comic book store I was working at. Well, sure, because that's where
1: <laughs> I think Think Tommy Lee Jones, I think, I bet he hangs out in
0: comic book stores. Sure. No, he actually came in to buy something for his then 11-year-old son. It's when he was filming Blown Away, that brilliant oh, bomb Lord. movie from, yeah. Okay.
1: Oh, yeah, that was, that. was that really took place in wicked Boston, all over the place <laughs> here in Boston. It was wicked good.
0: I mean, they did shoot it there to be fair. But the best part was, i this is going off off topic, but there's a sequence at the end where there's a car chase during the uh, um, the July 4th concert at the Hat Shell. Oh, and Lord. everybody in the theater when I saw that film was laughing their ass off because it's like, there is nobody speeding anywhere during that concert. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Tommy Lee Jones, he has a presence about him and it's not just on screen. He is instantly somebody that when you meet him, you stand a little straighter and he is taller <laughs> than you. Uh, and I'm six two, and he's taller than me. Uh, and he is somebody you call sir. You mm, just do. I, I don't I call anybody him, but... sir, but I called him sir. And, and Samuel Jackson, I don't think I would say anything. It's I like, would, do, I, yeah,
1: I would stand there and hope he didn't notice me.
0: I, again, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. I just was I, like, be- no, I'll nod. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go get you a tasty <laughs> beverage, but no.
1: <laughs> he is. He is so much more. I'm sorry. He is so much more an interesting character than vince than than john travolta's Mm -hmm. character and it's not just because what is the deal with travolta's hair in this movie
0: it's an inappropriate length and it's greasy
1: it looks so odd and it looks so bad on him i don't know what the per and and that had to be a choice because i'm pretty sure that was a wig but i don't understand that choice why would you make because he looks like it looks inappropriate for the era it looks inappropriate for his face it's just it's just wrong
0: and then then guys started growing their hair longer and we got greasy uh ponytails and 90s just was eh.
1: yeah 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 one Um, of the other things that uh, i do i have to say i really like about tarantino is his soundtracks i loved the soundtrack to this movie this is one of the the first i think soundtracks i bought on cd to a movie because he is just i like 70s music too and you know we get classics like you know, son of a preacher man and teenage wedding which i think is a little older because i think that's chuck berry and uh, preacher
0: man might even be 60s uh, really that's dusty springfield yeah mm. uh.
1: and the statler brothers doing flowers on the wall i'd never yeah. heard that song before oh, and really? for some reason yeah i'd never heard it and it just grabbed me
0: I, so of course you liked it because you're supposed to and this is one of my negative points about this this film is trying so hard to be cool everything about oh look and there's some references and there's actually one i'm surprised you didn't know or make note of in the yeah. trivia because he's like oh here's a deep reference no one's gonna get it's like oh i know where he's going and then you brought up the milkshake it's like oh no that's not the one i thought you were gonna go at.
1: Um, oh were you thinking of you catch- you the
0: dirt the Durwood kirby burger nope uh, what did you catch the flintstones re- reference in this
1: um I I, thought, I remember there was a, I don't remember what it was but I know there was a Flintstones reference
0: It is the only visual um, honestly, animated reference in the entire film. There is this one Oh, when, she,
1: when Mia draws the square.
0: Yes. And that is a reference to when Fred Flintstone became high-fi.
1: Oh, that's right. And everyone was just... Yeah, and there's no one and would they say the, the same, word.
0: They did the same thing. They made the square, and it appeared in the cartoon as a dotted, lined box. And that, they referenced that. That <laughs> is was a like,
1: very oh. strange moment in this movie. It because is Because <laughs> it doesn't... It's out of nowhere. Literally... You know, Mia is saying to Vince, you know, don't be a... And she draws a square in the air, and you see animated dotted lines form a square. That is the only time in this movie there is anything even resembling animation. Right. And And it's kind of jarring.
0: It is. But, so the other things, they go to that 50s restaurant, which, let's face it, that place is trying too hard. Right?
1: I guess. I have to say, I cannot decide if that is either the most horrifying restaurant I've ever seen or one I would eat in every day for the rest of my life.
0: I have this feeling that the food's terrible.
1: I wonder although the, the says the milkshakes really good.
0: Yeah, I. but it looks like Johnny Rockets
1: Yeah, and it does, fair, it actually, looks very much like it, Johnny Rockets
0: In its heyday, the food of Johnny Rockets was actually pretty decent But as most of those themed restaurants, it got a little too old and they stopped caring and blah 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 But like the soundtrack is like, hey, look how cool this is The 50s restaurant, the fact that Uma Thurman, what does she have for a stereo? Oh, she has a reel-to-reel tape deck, okay, <laughs> okay Just everything felt like it was trying so hard. Look how cool this is! Yeah, Quentin, just calm down. And then, of course, there's this one giant, and I have to say this was a huge mistake, and I'm sure he does this very often. Quentin shows up in his own film! Oh,
1: he does like to do that. He originally was going to play the uh, drug dealer, Lance, but uh, he decided that Eric Stoltz would do a better job
0: yeah because you know Eric Stoltz was uh, busy not making a, another back to the future film um, <clears throat> they he also just he, is can't act. I'm sorry, but it felt to me like he when we got to that scene where he's playing a part and he's reading his own dialogue, which quite honestly he doesn't do very well. Eh. Um, It felt like, well, I I, I, want to be with all these cool people doing cool stuff. I don't know. I'll make a cool movie, and then I get to be in it. The character of
1: Jimmy doesn't work that well, although I do like the fact that when Mr. Wolf shows up, even Jimmy realizes, I have to be polite to this person.
0: Yeah, it's the character's fine, Yeah, right? The idea of there being this guy who lives in the suburbs who also has his own connections, but... He's like, he obviously kind of owes Jewel as a favor from somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's fine. And the fact that he's afraid of his wife, I think, is awesome. Um, <laughs> but Tarantino, it's just, ugh. it's like suddenly he's like, well, look who you're surrounding yourself with. I mean, John Travolta can do a good job in some films. He also does a terrible job in other films. Although to be fair, I think um, what was the Dianetics film? Uh, 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 oh,
1: Battlefield. Battlefield Earth. Earth.
0: Nobody did oh, a good job. Oh Lord! In that. Uh, but you got Samuel Jackson. Like there again, there's somebody I wouldn't want to act next to because uh, I'm just going to leave now because I you can act for both of us.
1: Yeah, he's, and, he is clearly much better.
0: And then uh, Harvey Keitel shows. up, <laughs> It's like. Really, these are the people that you, as not an actor, want to act with? Because mm.
1: unfortunately, that also works against Travolta. I think in those scenes yeah. when when Harvey Keitel and Samuel Jackson are there, both Tarantino and Travolta seem to fade into the background. Yeah, because both of those actors, especially, and Keitel does such a great job with that sort of calm, that weird leashed, and you know that Mister Wolf under all of that is someone to be afraid of.
0: Well, he was also in Reservoir Dogs, wasn't he? Yes,
1: he was, and yeah. Car- Harvey Keitel can also be incredibly scary, which considering yes. he's not, I mean, Samuel Jackson is a towering man, he's very tall and physically imposing, and Harvey Keitel is not, and yet he still has at least as much presence and is just at least as intimidating.
0: Well, here's a question I didn't even write down, but of the two characters, who are you more afraid of, Mr. Wolf or Jules? Jules?
1: I would say Mr Wolf. Me too. <laughs> because yeah, Mr Wolf, you know, Jules might lose his temper and shoot at you, Mr Wolf would get mad, stay calm and take you out at his leisure sometime in the future.
0: Yeah, you just and don't he would, know.
1: <laughs> and he would probably do it in some horrible way. Yeah. Oh no, he's no you you never want the calm calculating guy mad at you. And he is the, the remarkable thing about Mr Wolf, and we're jumping ahead a bit but who cares, so does the movie. yeah yeah mr wolf is he doesn't really do anything that impressive although i do still like it's a 30 minute drive i'll be there in 10 (laughs) not so clearly he can rend the fabric of space and time yeah but he's just okay you know here's how we here clean get cleaned up clean this up get some towels get some linens and the main thing is it's not what he comes up with it's the fact that no one will contradict him. Yeah. I mean, Vince at one point makes, I still couldn't believe he says, you know, please would be nice.
0: I know, I was just like, oh, oh he's dead. Yeah,
1: my first thought is, <laughs> well, goodbye, Vince. Yeah, And you can see later. Jules moves away from him when he says that. <laughs> he's like, he, he looks at him and like, I don't believe you just said that. And he steps back like, I don't want to be in the line of fire.
0: I wonder if that was some sort of weird foreshadowing. It might have been
1: although I, don't know. I yeah we'll, we'll get to that there I think there's uh, other stuff about that
0: well it's something uh, I'd like to get to if we can because sure. I'm worried about running out of time and oh, this yeah. is a big thing the briefcase yeah so, what when is you saw in the film the brief- yeah at 94 because you of the two of us yep. obviously you saw it when it came out I did first of all was your attention drawn to it like oh I wonder what that is and did you wonder and or come up with a theory as to what it was. For those who didn't see the film, there's a briefcase that the two main characters are carrying back to their boss. We never see what's in it, but it's opened twice. And both times, there's sort of a golden orangish light that is seen to ro- coming out of the case. That's it. And nobody and says time- what
1: it is. The closest is, uh, you know, Pumpkin looks in and just says, it's beautiful.
0: Right. That's it. So when you first saw the film, were you- was your attention grabbed by that Absolutely. Okay, so it's a it's a MacGuffin. So it is of.
1: definitely a Mac. Oh no, it's an absolute MacGuffin because it has nothing to do. What's in the briefcase has nothing to do with the plot and doesn't advance anything. That's the definition.
0: Right. In okay. fact,
1: Tarantino said it's just a MacGuffin.
0: Okay. So, but you didn't know that at the time. Obviously, no. you saw the film and nobody knew. Blah blah blah. So, when you saw that, you're like, "What's that? Did you did you start formulating a theory?
1: I did, and it and was what a was dumb. Your it was a dumb one." And it was based only on one thing, and that is the, f- the combination that opens the briefcase is 666. Okay. And I thought, I think it's his soul. Whose? Marcellus's. I think it's his soul is in the uh, briefcase.
0: So I went and did a little research because I knew there was something about this, and I couldn't remember what it was. And that is the predominant theory.
1: Yeah, like most I read people, about that.
0: And it connects to something that was one of my notes, because it's in the earlier part of the film, which is, what the heck is that Band-Aid for on the back of Marcellus's head? Because it's like right in our faces, which means in the theater, that Band-Aid on the back of his head was probably about six feet wide.
1: Yeah, so you can't I, miss I, it. I, I read about that because, first of all, that sort of went with that theory because there's an old sort of old wives tale that when the devil steals your soul, he takes it out of a wound in the back of your head.
0: Yeah, it turns out that's actually not true either. No, but.
1: Well, no, because it was Ving Rhames shaves his head, and he actually cut himself, oh, and uh, okay. they, he put a Band-Aid on there, and uh, when Tarantino saw it, he said, hmm, I think I can use that. So, According to Tarantino, he just says, you know, he, he was on Howard Stern in 2013, 2003, and someone asked what's in it, and he says, it's whatever you want it to be. It's yeah. whatever the viewer wants it to be, which is, I assume, really what it's supposed to be. It's it's up to the viewer.
0: Well, it kind of reminds me of a gag they used in an earlier film called um, Repo Man. Because Repo Uh. Man, they're after, I haven't seen it, I keep meaning to watch it, but apparently it's Emilio Estevez and he becomes the Repo Man. And there's this car that supposedly in the trunk has an alien in it. Damn. And whenever they open the trunk, this bright light comes out and in this case actually does something. It actually reduces whoever's right there to ash. Mm. Um, but we never actually see what it is. And I wondered if this was not an echo of that. Um, do you think that it's true that Tarantino like he doesn't know what it is? Do you think that he really was like, no, this is just whatever the audience wants?
1: I don't know. I don't know I don't have that much of an insight into his head, but I wouldn't be surprised if he just put it in. As a MacGuffin. I just decided okay. that's what it is.
0: Does it, like the little animated square, do you think it detracts from the rest of the film because of its potential nature?
1: Honestly, yeah. It's one of the problems I have with the movie because there's nothing else... Well, no, there is another Paranatural moment or a moment that could be. You know, now yeah. that it... You know, if you think about it, no, I don't think it does because it, it echoes when Jules and uh, Vince are at the Three Deadbeats place, and a guy leaps out of the bathroom with a forty-four Magnum and unloads five shots, six shots at them, and doesn't hit them from like four feet away. And then they kill him. And they, I, they have, I think, a very interesting argument where Jules believes it's a miracle. He right. thinks God spared them. And Vince says, I think the guy, it was just very unlikely, the guy missed. And it's an interesting question because it's unlikely to miss at that range. Except, it is actually a lot harder to shoot somebody than people think. It well, is that really being
0: said. If you look at the bullet holes, some of them are directly behind Samuel Jackson. <laughs> it,
1: it is hard to tell, but it does look like they were right behind him, like the bullets actually went through him.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, the reason that I brought this up was specifically in hopes of getting you to bring up that moment with Samuel Jackson's character Jules, mm. because I wonder if we're supposed to go the route of this is somebody's soul, the 666, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, does not Jules' sudden decision that this was a miracle and that he should change his life in a way clash with that idea because of what he's carrying? Because he literally never puts those two things together. He never says, wow, I think I just, I just went through a miracle. Oh, really? Because you're carrying a soul in a briefcase. Do you think those things are connected? I mean... No, to I me, that's I why the case—that's why the case sort of jarred me, because it's like, yeah. well, why aren't you referencing this? If mm. that, why not this?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with that. I think uh, one of the things about Jules is I think he very much compartmentalizes things. He sees, the, as he says to uh, pump the robbers, is I can't give you this case; it's not mine. And I, so it's like this is separate from me. I have nothing to do with it.
0: I'm going to be on the other side of the fence. My note was, is the case a real MacGuffin and does its mystery actually add to the narrative or is it just a cool detail of Washington a movie also trying to be cool? And my feeling is that it's the latter. It doesn't add anything and its presence actually just kind of like makes you stop caring about what people are talking about and dear gods, there's a lot of that and wondering what this is. <laughs> yeah, and of course, it never pays off.
1: It doesn't so, bother me that way. Now, the I like the fact... The, I mean, the idea, I think that uh, Jules accepts, he believes it's a miracle, and he says he is going to change his ways, and I kind of believe him. You think he's going to, you know, give up the life of being a professional assassin, and as he says, walk the earth, with a nice little David Carradine reference, he says, <laughs> like Kane in Kung Fu, Right. and Vince shrugs it off as just one of those weird things. Well, which of the two of them survives the movie?
0: And now that's something else I wanted to bring up. Yeah. So the narrative
1: It's very we, nonlinear. We jump well, around chronologically all the time, which I will tell you right now I don't like. I don't but that's just me in general. I don't like it in movies, even great ones like Memento. I, I don't like nonlinear narratives. I just they bug me.
0: The only thing that bugs me about it is the fact SPOIL! Is the fact that Vince dies
1: halfway through the movie? We see him
0: get killed. Now that wouldn't be a problem, except at the end of the movie, we go back to the beginning of the movie, yeah, which makes yeah. you re- realize, oh yeah, this film is really long, because here we are at the beginning again. Ah! <laughs> when does this end? Oh, that did, um, that part
1: didn't bother me. I didn't mind the. I didn't feel the length of the movie that much.
0: Oh, I did. I kept yeah. wondering when it was going to be over. But the fact that Vince dies, and I will admit, didn't see it coming. No. And even even when Bruce Willis's character gets the gun, which was just left on the counter, I'm like, huh? I I assumed that Vince was going to pull something else out of his butt, and that 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 Bruce Willis was still going down. And it's like, wait, B- 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 Butch makes it out of the movie. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: Butch is an interesting. Well, I want to talk a little about him too. But yes, that is a really jarring scene, especially because then we go but when we see later in the movie, oh wait, Vince is still alive. Oh, this is yeah.
0: before. Like, yeah. huh? like, I would actually have been more happy if there had been something where Vince talked his way out of it. Like, yeah. hey, you know, Wallace is already after you and blah, 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 blah. And somehow he lets Butch go and whatever. And then we can continue having Vince in the film. I would have understood that better than him dying. And then it's like, oh, it's almost like Tarantino's like, oh, but I like this character. Well, we'll go back in time. Back in time. <laughs> and that way we can have Vince back. And it's like, mm. it is it is jarring. I don't I yeah. don't care for that part either. Um, Butch's character.
1: Yeah. Butch's whole storyline I, I, is interesting because I'm not sure if we're supposed to like him or not. That whole sequence where we see he's having a dream where he's a child and Christopher Walken, which I am sorry, Christopher Walken talking to you as a small child would scar you even if he was talking about his favorite flavor of ice cream.
0: Well, and but, of course, he, what does he show up to do? It's like, hey, kid, here, have this watch. Hey, guess where it's been? Uh, it's yeah, like, see,
1: I, I kept this watch... Up my, my my ass for two years in a prison camp. You know, he is walking all over the place. By the way, there is a moment where he stops, where he pauses, and then keeps going. That was not intentional. He forgot his line. <laughs> but with walking, you just don't know. And then he remembered it and kept going, and Tarantino thought, this seems very natural. I'm going to leave it in.
0: That and whole sequence, I was like, why are they doing this? It
1: was so strange. I mean, it's absolutely spellbinding, by the way, and not partly because of just the way Walken delivers it. There's another guy with intense, if disturbing, presence. <laughs> it's only is,
0: a Diver's Watchbook, Rogers.
1: Because <laughs> that's what he's there to do. He was in a POW camp in Vietnam, uh, outside of Hanoi, apparently. With uh, Maybe he was in the Hanoi Hilton, they don't say. Uh with the kid, with Butch's father, and the watch like was handed down from grandfather to his father, and
0: well handed,
1: and, and, yes, and he basically <laughs> that watch has been up somebody's ass for seven years. And here you here go. You, here it works you, great. <laughs> it's like I really am glad this kid doesn't understand what's being said to him because otherwise he would never touch that watch again.
0: I just, that scene was just like, why is this here? Okay, we have to know the importance of the watch and it helps us understand why he. Honestly, if he had just come back with the watch, this is all that's left of your dead dad kid. Sorry. That would have been enough. The yeah, whole. He,
1: I don't <laughs> think he needed to tell the kid why, where oh. the watch had been. But again, I appreciate it because, like I say, it is spellbinding.
0: I it give is Walken some just, reason for being in the
1: movie. Eh. I, I just that, think it's really interesting and it just. It, by itself, it's a whole story there. It's like there's a whole other movie in that one scene. And and then we have, you know, he's apparently, you know, double-crossed Marcellus because he agreed to throw a fight, got a lot of money, and then bet on himself. Uh, and he's got to get out of town fast. And
0: Well, part of the problem is he killed the man. He didn't know that, but he yes. ended up killing his opponent in the ring. That's the other uh, thing. And, are we supposed to like Butch? Are we supposed to like anybody? Mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah. Well, I
1: kind of like Jules, even if he is scary.
0: Because everybody, every, this is something Tarantino does. He only likes the worst in humanity. Yeah. That's just his thing. He's he only very likes big the on worst. That. So your best protagonists, you know, candidates are the hitmen, right? And they're hitmen, yeah. and we see them yeah, kill people. professional murderers,
1: they and they have no re- no remorse about it. Although no,
0: and then they go get a five dollars shake.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Tarantino. Does not give us a lot of likable people. Well, he gives us likable in some ways, but he does not give us good people. Yeah, they're, they're all terrible. I mean, good Lord. Everyone's either on drugs or, you know, Mia, who seems to be one of the few innocents. You know, she's a coke fiend, and she's she has got to know who she's married to. Right. She is not, you know, she's not stupid. She must know that she is married to an unbelievably dangerous, violent man.
0: Although they're never in the same scene together.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, they are. Which He's is... on the phone at one point. To, when uh, Jules is calling him uh, to get to send Mr. Wolf, uh, Mia is there. It's just she's hard to tell because she's wearing like a bathing cap and oh, uh, sunglasses. Right. She has no lines. Right. But she is there.
0: So we don't know if they have any chemistry because <laughs> yeah. we never see and any. They,
1: that Butch also, I mean, his girlfriend I think is adorable if kind of weird. The little French girl, Fabienne.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know where she was from either. It's like, where did you come from? You're in the wrong... She's like the only nice person. Like, yeah, she's the sort wrong of... Movie. I think she wandered
1: in off from another movie. <laughs> and their relationship baffles me. But uh, yeah. although he does seem to adore her, he also has a horrific temper.
0: Yeah. But and then he, we he, he... Yeah. We only see him throw something at her. We don't see him beat her, which is like, I guess, faint praise.
1: But. Uh, and you get the feeling he probably has never actually hit her because she looks so terrified by his temper. Yeah. Right. That it's not like it's something she's used to. So, yeah, yeah, kudos to him, I suppose. And then that whole sequence with him and Marcellus where they just run into each other, literally, randomly on a street corner, and he rams into him with his
0: car. Yeah, what is Marcellus do, doing going out and getting his own lunch? What I have no idea. Fact? No idea. That made no sense to me at all. Yeah. Like he literally has a box of food with a drink in it.
1: Yeah, don't know.
0: And, and it's, like, it's sort of like that scene in um, uh, Psycho. When uh, Janet Lay is like, she's got the money, she'll leave in town, and it's like waiting at a red light, and it's like, oh dear god there goes my boss walking. I'll just hide behind my glasses. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, and
1: yeah. then they, they they have this really odd chase scene. And by the way, uh, when I mentioned Kathy Griffin, the comedian, she's one of the, she's the one who helps Marcellus get up and is saying, look, I saw the whole thing. If you need me to tell the police, and then he pulls out a gun and she just goes, okay, no, and walks away.
0: <laughs> And then somehow our our two characters Marcellus and Butch end up in the uh, deliverance pawn shop.
1: <laughs> yeah oh my God that is one of the most disturbing sequences in the entire movie
0: yeah and the first even... time
1: I saw the gimp that yeah. freaked I had never heard of anything like that. I don't even know if they coined the term or oh. if that was you know this was that a thing before them.
0: It's just medium. I mean, it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. People. Oh, people do that. I was
1: like, "What? Have we
0: wandered into a superhero movie? Is this some kind of supervillain?" Yeah, and then, and then all he does is like laugh. He cackles. Yeah, he just sort of giggles, and and then uh, Butch manages to either put him out or kill him. I can't tell. I don't really care. I
1: think he, well, it's hard to tell. I mean, he's a professional boxer. When he hits someone, they stay hit. Then he goes up. And why does he, this is a question I, I was curious about. He can get away. He leaves Zed and Maynard down there to you know <laughs> play Deliverance with Marcellus. They're apparently yeah. in the screenplay. They're brothers, by the way, Zed and okay, Maynard. Sure. Yeah, why not? And uh, yeah, apparently this every pawn shop in Los Angeles has a BDSM dungeon in it, and uh, a guy in a gimp suit. Yeah. He gets away. He beats. He breaks free from his his chair. He beats up the gimp, and he leaves. And then he comes, he turns around, he picks up a katana, which I was so hoping this time I would look at the mark and see it was a Hattori (laughs) Hanso. It was not. Yeah. But first of all, it's apparently a real katana. I don't know what they were doing with that in a a cheap-ass pawn shop. And he goes back and saves Marcellus. Why does he do that?
0: My feeling is he's looking forward to the future. He's like, look, I'm going to get away, I have a plan, but let's face it, this guy has got reach. Although, apparently not reach enough to get his own takeout, but whatever. But what, he, he would d-
1: assume he would be killed. There's no way they would have let him live after that. He would, if he would left, he picked, must have known Marcellus would die.
0: Uh, if Marcellus somehow didn't get out. But did Marcellus already put out the word on him?
1: Yeah, that's why, Vin- that's why Vince was waiting at his apartment.
0: Right. So I, my feeling was he did it because, look, I think I've actually got an opportunity to clear my name and get the money.
1: Oh, and so you, oh, you think he was that forward thinking that he actually planned and it was all self-serving that I'll go back and rescue him and maybe he'll uh, take off the hit on me.
0: I think we're also supposed to hate the gay in this case. Like, I think that's uh, part of it. Like, Oh, you shouldn't do that to another guy. And I, 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 I draw the line somewhere. So I'll, that too, I think that's mm-hmm. part of it. But yeah. And of course, this is admittedly giving Bruce Willis a lot of credit. No offense. He's probably also a very nice guy, but his generally his characters. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so yeah, that's what I—that's th- that was my interpretation. Was just like, oh, uh, I—that's sh- horrible. I shouldn't let that happen, even to him. And hey, you know, I might be able to get something out of this. So that's that's. But you know okay, what? Okay. Yeah. We could go on, but mm-hmm. we shouldn't because it is that time.
1: Yeah. True. True. That's too bad because I think there's a lot more to talk about. We don't talk about the final scene with uh, in the diner with uh, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin and yeah. at- confronting uh, Jules, at which. I love just because Jules is like, two, you're two people with guns drawn, and Jules just is, in, is so clearly in charge of the whole situation. Yes. It's just, he, and he says, normally, you two would be dead. And you absolutely, it's like, of course they would. It doesn't matter that they, have, they technically have the drop on him. You know if he wanted to, he'd kill both of them and not even break a sweat.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: but yes, you are, so. So.
0: The Roundup.
1: Despite your dislike of Tarantino, what did you think of this movie?
0: So, here's my faint praise. I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It is ridiculously talky. Oh, dear gods. It is. Everybody's got a goddamn story, and everybody's got to tell it. Everybody. Um, And, in fact, for me, the script, one of the problems of the script, not only being talky, I think you could give nearly anybody's lines to any actor and you would they would be able to deliver them fine because they don't sound distinctly like different people.
1: Oh, I don't know about uh, that. I don't
0: know. I. Uh, this is my opinion. Yep, true, true. Uh, he, he does not know when to shut up. Uh, Tarantino is in love with his own voice and he's in love with the idea of having really cool stuff. I want to make cool stuff. Sometimes to the point of the detriment of the narrative. So as we both discussed, the fact that Vince dies in the middle of the movie is just like, w- wait, what? And you're not like, when When am I now? I don't know. Uh, there's some strangely bad filmmaking in this. Every scene at night in a car looks terrible. There are scenes when they're sitting at a red light and the back, the, the, the film in the back, because it's obviously just a fake car in front of a screen, is jiggling. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, really? This is 94. $8 million
1: budget, remember?
0: Yeah, but the other people have done this. Like they've done this in TV that looks better than this. Mm. And I was just surprised. It's like, this is shoddy. This is like, like actually, I'm noticing the fact that you're doing a backdrop screen. Like, this This is a process shot. It's terrible. Um, some of the acting is great. Because I don't even know if you can make Harvey Keitel bad. <laughs> um, same thing as Ving Rames. We only see the back of his head for most of the film. But Ving Rames I, 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 does great. Uh, I would say for, for Travolta, it's one of his iconic roles for good reasons. He's actually pretty good in it. Yes. Uh, Samuel Jackson, actually, to me, starts out kind of clunky, but then he's Samuel Jackson, so you just don't care, right? Anyway, because yes. he, he becomes much better. It's almost like that first scene, he's just not quite in the, the groove, but it's Samuel Jackson, so it, eventually he's fine and it's great. Um, Uma Thurman's there for 10 minutes. She's fine. Uh, Tarantino's awful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The violence is not nearly as in-your-face and just awful as it usually is, Hmm. um, which I I will give it credit for. I can totally see why people like this movie. It gave you and me way more to talk about than we've got time for. So I I understand why people like it. I personally, again, the, the pacing is off. It felt very long to me. I was waiting for it to be over. I didn't understand the timeline. Um... I, f- I just think it's trying way too hard to be cool, um, and it's what Tarantino does, and that's me. But you okay. love this I, film.
1: I don't. I, I like this film a lot. I don't know if I love it. Uh, I think it holds up very well. Uh, I I don't mind Tarantino's talking. there are movies where it doesn't work. I think it works fine with him. I think he has a real handle on language, and the stories his characters tell. I think are always really interesting, and I want to hear. I want to hear more. I always, uh, this. The byplay between Uma Thurman and John Travolta, I love their their chemistry. That weird, there's sort of a barrier between them, but there's obviously, they're very comfortable with each other. And you wonder well, what would have happened in different circumstances. I thought that was really well handled, and I think part of that was the acting.
0: Well, there's but, a really oh, good scene of him in the bathroom basically talking him out of doing anything because he knows he really wants to. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was actually really cool, because we're all sitting there going, we know he's dumb enough to try something, don't do it, because yeah. you're going to die sooner than we thought you would. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, again, that whole sequence where she has the heroin overdose, uh, which is, again, one of those scenes that's just out of left field. It's like, oh my god, this this whole sequence just took a really hard right turn, which I think Tarantino's really good at. He does. He's very good at subverting expectations. By the way, I checked... Shoving an adrenaline needle into someone's heart will is something that can be done in the case of a heroin overdose if the heart has been f- shocked into uh, atrial fibrillation by the heroin.
0: So real quick, I don't know if you know this because your drug knowledge is probably about a second longer than mine. <laughs> so he's he's got some apparently amazing heroin. Now with yeah. heroin, we see him earlier. He actually heats it up and melts it.
1: Yeah, that's how first. you're supposed to do it. You, then you inject it. She snorts it.
0: Now, so you, what... That's obviously something you can't. That is do is extremely
1: dangerous to do. Okay. Her- yeah, heroin is not supposed to get into your system that fast, and, it's not, and it just destroys your nasal cavities. Oh no, that will kill you.
0: Okay, as they tried to do in this film. Now, yeah. I also want to say that the adrenal- adrenaline needle. I mean, literally, as soon as it's in, she sits up and she's more or less fine. I think that's probably not true.
1: Either. I'm not sure. I, I read a, a doctor. They, they had the there's a website about like medical scenes in movies, and they said, yeah, that's. Uh, that's pretty accurate. The only thing is, she would have been an absolute mess afterwards. I mean, okay. she couldn't have walked.
0: Oh, all right. Uh, other but, things, you, uh, good things you want to say about this?
1: Um, again, I, I like I like his casting choices a lot. Uh, I thought the filmmaking was really good. I thought the one thing that doesn't hold up as well is the first time I saw the movie. The tension is much higher when Bruce Willis is going back to his apartment when he's in the pawn shop. You don't know what's going to happen you I'll don't say. know who's going to who's going to kill whom or who's going to do what to whom and that was really exciting the first time i saw it and this time it's like, "okay, yeah, i know what's going to happen." It kind of took some of the thrill, the energy out of it. Hmm. But i still i still liked it and uh, i think it still works for me.
0: And you still think it should have won over Forrest Gump?
1: I do. I do think it should have. At least it was more original and uh, it was way less of a walking cliché.
0: It became one. Yeah,
1: but that's not its fault. No, it's not. I still loved, I think later that year, I think it was Mad TV, did a parody called Gump Fiction, (laughs) where they conflated the two movies. And one of my favorite lines, they have a guy who's done up as Forrest Gump, but in like Vince Vega's black suit and with his hair. you You know, it might be me. But I believe we are going to have to get medieval on your buttocks.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I remember too, there was even a promo for Cartoon Network that had, I can't remember who the characters were in the car, but it was like Fred Flintstone and somebody else doing the yeah. whole Royale thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is no, it, that, that was stuff everywhere. Down everything. Yeah, that was that everywhere. N- that is not the fault of the film. It no. is just because it was that iconic that it ended up suffering from its own popularity because yeah. you, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing that stuff. But that is not the fault of the film. So. Uh, yeah, so it was uh, it was violent and it was uh, nasty, but um we've continued the '90s. We've done something new. Hey, we have. didn't stop at eight.
1: We uh, aren't. We're going to continue. I believe yeah. we're we're going to shoot for what uh, a nice dozen, nice even dozen.
0: Yes. Not so the dirty dozen. speaking
1: of that, what's our next one next week?
0: We're going to do another violent, horrible, bloody, oh, no. triple R-rated film next week. Yeah, it's groundhog day no wait what
1: <laughs> oh wait is that one of those holiday themed slasher movies uh, yes so it's and like they, actually like grinds people up in like a, a pork processing plant yes and then, ah. the
0: that, yep. uh-huh. and then the week after that we're going to do that same movie again and then the week after that we're going to do it again okay and then, until we get it right <laughs>